1: Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking the Hello
0: everybody the and welcome we to Finsider Radio. This is MC Money joined by Sutton, the Creepy Soccer Dad, and Houts, M.D. And we are here to talk about two main things. And that is one, Super Bowl 52, and the other is... Josh McDaniels spurning the Colts at the last hour, leaving them hanging at the altar and returning to the New England Patriots. How does that all impact the Miami Dolphins both now and into the future? But, of course, the biggest game of the entire year, Super Bowl. It is bigger than the World Series. It is bigger than the NBA Finals. It is bigger than the Stanley Cup. It is bigger than the college championship of any kind. And, yes, we saw a great Super Bowl And a great Super Bowl only because the New England Patriots lost 33-41. to Although you might look at the score and say, Wow, the Philadelphia Eagles won by 8 points. It wasn't totally close. The game was obviously much different. And had Brandon Cooks been in the game, had Malcolm Butler been in the game, had the tip from Gronkowski at the end of the game gone just a hair differently, there's a very good chance those Patriots would have tied up that game with that two-point conversion and touchdown. Then with all the momentum, most likely drive right down the field and win the ball game. But that is not to be. Tom Brady does not get another ring. Bill Belichick does not get another ring. And we have a lot to talk about with the Super Bowl, the referees, the, the great job that they did, the actual game itself, the Philly special that Doug Peterson and Nick Foles had incredible guts to run At the one-yard line on fourth down when the smart, logical, by-the-book play would have been to take the points. But of course, there's also the parties that happened, the food that we ate, the beer that we drank, the company that we had. And yes, the halftime show and the commercials. So let's start right from the beginning, boys. Let's start actually with pregame, with Pink with a great rendition of the National Anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. Little known fact, Pink had the flu. And she still showed up to the Super Bowl. Also little known fact, I'm pretty sure I am in the beginning stages of having a flu. And I'm here on FinSider Radio. So I don't want to hear that Pink was this hero to the Super Bowl to sing the National Anthem. No one's giving me credit, Son and House for showing up and doing this edition of Insider Radio with the beginning stages of the flu. So, you know, I've had it up to there with with that talk. No one wants to give me credit, so I'm not going to give Pink all the credit.
2: Like when Carson went to that touchdown with that torn ACL.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, Matthew, I'm absolutely in awe that you're even here tonight. The fact that your vocal cords have been corrupted in such a way and you still managed to fight through it. Thank God you're our leader.
2: Yeah, without you, we would uh, crash and burn. So really thankful to have you here. You're a hero.
0: I totally agree with you both, and I appreciate your, your nice words for me. And we will make sure we continue this partnership and this great podcast moving forward. And you just secured yourselves another year on FinSider Radio. But anyways, uh, the pregame, the coin toss, you know, uneventful, going towards the kickoff. And the Philadelphia Eagles having complete control of the game from the very get-go. Um, they they drove right down the field. Alshon Jeffrey was an absolute monster in the first quarter, and a little bit into the second quarter before the Patriots finally switched some things up. But I was I was taken aback, boys. And for me, I, I did not think the Eagles would be able to hang with the Patriots. They didn't think their offense would be able to keep up with with Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels and all those other guys there. But they did, and they actually outplayed the Patriots. I think on the offensive side of the ball, a lot more creativity a lot better execution there, and making the plays when they needed to the most and having the guts to go for it on fourth down several times, including at the end of the game there where they had about five minutes left. They weren't quite past the midfield marker, and they decided to go for it on fourth down. I think it was like fourth and three, fourth and four. Tremendous, tremendous execution, perseverance, poise from all the Philadelphia Eagles but going back to that first quarter, you know, mixed in with LeGarrette Blunt, mixed in with J.H.I., mixed in with, with Clement for the Eagles. Nick Foles came out passing right away. They barely ran the ball in that first drive. Yeah, they only came away with three points at the beginning, but, you know, it was it was one hell of a start for the Philadelphia Eagles. Were either of you surprised by what happened there?
3: No, you know what, Matthew? When I saw Philadelphia, which I did not expect to be able the ball to Minnesota Vikings in the NFC Championship game. When I saw them be able to move the ball against the Minnesota defense, which I thought was uh, head and shoulders above the New England defense, I thought there was a chance that they were going to be able to move the ball. And what I wasn't expecting was just the, the beautiful way that they weaved the run and the pass together. They had play action. They had misdirection. They had trick plays. They kept that New England defense off balance the whole time. And like you said, they were just aggressive the whole time. They were pressing on fourth down. They weren't afraid to take shots down the field. It was a beautiful thing to watch, and it was what we see so many times. And I thought, I thought the, the way the game was going to unfold was the same way the AFC Championship game unfolded, where the underdog comes out early, And has a lead and then New England would have weaseled their way back into the game somehow and ended up winning it. And it was just phenomenal feat to see in the second half that Philadelphia just consistently stayed ahead of New England. Every time New England, you know, made some noise, Philadelphia answered right back. It was a beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, we saw what they did in that NFC Championship game against Minnesota, like Sutton said, a superior defense. But when you give Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare, I mean, I thought that it was going to be a lot closer than it actually was when they came out there in that first half. I mean, Philadelphia, you would think the nerves would get to them uh, going up against the defending Super Bowl champs, and they just came out with a game plan. They, Like Sutton said, he mixed up the pass and the run game, and, and they just came out there and, executed everything to perfection. Doug Peterson, you got to tip your hat to him. I mean, what a ballsy play that that fourth and one was and just the entire game. I mean, all season long, Doug Peterson, the Eagles have made these ballsy plays. And in the biggest game of the year, he just didn't hold anything back. And I think that's what separates those great coaches from some of those other ones. I mean, you got a guy there that's going for it on fourth and one right before the half. He knows how important that score is there. And they just call a perfectly executed play. I know Nick Foles had a lot to do with that. But uh, it, it was just unbelievable to watch as with friends and family. I mean, everyone there, Eagle fans, we were all ecstatic because no one likes the New England Patriots. And just to see the way Philly came out there and they did everything that you were kind of hoping they were going to do but just kind of expected not to happen. You expected things to go New England's way and uh, maybe the Eagles' defense would be able to match up with them. But it was a bl- it was a shootout. It was a beautifully executed football game and it was just something that was fun to watch no matter which team you were a fan of. But in the end, seeing Philadelphia get that first Super Bowl, it's a day I will never forget.
0: Let's talk about Doug Peterson. And to be on that stage, it's incredible the story this guy has, right? The Philadelphia Eagles were pretty much going all in on two guys two years ago. Uh, The first guy was Ben McAdoo, who the Eagles had great interest in. And you look at that now and you're like, whoa, they dodged a bullet. The other one is Adam Gase, and the Philadelphia Eagles had had very heavy interest in Adam Gase, and he was rumored to be their top target. The Eagles, though, they wanted to do their due diligence and finish their interviews out of respect for all the others they had lined up, and that's when the Dolphins swooped in and said that we're going to get our guy in Adam Gase, and we're going to make sure that he signs with us and doesn't go back to Philadelphia. So then, you know, Philadelphia looks like they have a little bit of egg on their face. They don't have really anyone great in the wings to take over as head coach. So they reach back and they go get uh, Doug Peterson from Kansas City, who was coaching with Andy Reid. And everyone blasts the move. They, they call it one of the worst head coaching hires of, of the cycle. They, they call Doug Peterson a bust after year one. They said the guy doesn't know what he's doing. And he comes back year two with all the injuries he had: left tackle Jason Peters, uh, Darren Sproles in the first few weeks of the season, losing uh, Wendell Smallwood. Just incredible, incredible luck, and not good luck, bad luck. And then you lose Carson Wentz, your franchise quarterback, almost a little more than halfway through the season, and then Nick Foles steps in, and they don't miss a beat. It's just incredible the job that Peterson did, and. I tweeted out the other day that it's not a knock on Gase because I do like Adam Gase, and I think he's the real deal. And, and who else is going to win with Jay Cutler? Nobody. Yeah, you you hope he learns mistakes from this e- year and understands that you don't need to bring a guy out of retirement and persuade him to come out of retirement and play quarterback for you. You can do it with a quality backup like many other teams did it this year. But it's just ironic the way things work out, and it could work out for the Colts, and we're going to touch on that. Later on in the show. But, you know, it's, it's just funny how everything works. And we said a few weeks ago on the show when they traded for Ajay, they knew they had lightning in the bottle. And we know that teams don't always get back to the Super Bowl, regardless of how good they are. The exception, of course, probably the Patriots. But we've seen teams that are great during the regular season and falter in the playoffs. Happens to the Packers a lot. Happens to the Seahawks. Happens to the Saints this year. I mean, I don't think anybody really expected the Saints to to lose in the second round of the playoffs. We all thought, with their great offense, they would at least get to the championship game, and they didn't. So you got to catch lightning in a the bottle. They did that by trading for J.H.I. They did that by making all the right moves. They did that by getting Alshon Jeffrey, Chris Long. They did that by get by developing Nelson Aguilar, who was incredible season this year. But the point to all of this, is Doug Peterson is a hell of a coach. And he puts so much trust in his guys out there to get the job done. And you have to believe that his players responded to that. For me, the obvious is fourth and one, the Philly special, right? I mean, it takes guts to run that play at the one-yard line with that much on the line to put your quarterback out there in the open and hope he can catch the football. But for me, the one I mentioned earlier in the show, and I'm going to ask you two what your uh, biggest takeaway was from the Super Bowl with Doug Peterson. For me, it was that one towards the end of the game there where they went for it on fourth down, and there was just about five minutes left in the game. And if the Eagles did not convert that, there is no doubt in my mind that the Patriots would have driven down minimum a field goal. And that basically would have been the game. Well, to go back to the Philly special,
3: that was a pretty awesome thing to see unfold just because, and we're starting to see more of it now that players are more mic'd up and we can hear some of the sideline conversations, but it seemed like Doug Peterson, he was digging into his red zone, you know, fourth and one type plays and Nick Foles is kind of like, hey, won't we run it? And it was almost like a second option to Doug Peterson, but he, but he felt confident about it. And he said, yeah. And obviously it worked out to tremendous effect. Uh, but it, it was a really cool thing to see that kind of trust. And I think that was kind of what you're alluding to there, MC Money, was seeing that trust between players and coaches and having that kind of confidence to be able to pull that off in that situation. So that was – great thing just because it was a fourth and one play and it was if they didn't get it you you're thinking okay new england's gonna do one of those score before the half and then score when they get the ball in the third quarter and they're gonna end up taking a lead and then they're just gonna win the game so it was really cool to see the reverse play out initially like that and and just kind of yep. carry carry throughout the whole game but that I, actual play go ahead yeah go- no, I just gonna say, and then just uh, the big moment for me was the Zach Ertz touchdown that they kept a touchdown. I thought that was a pretty important yes. play right there, a, a important referee ruling. That right there was like, okay, maybe New England doesn't have the referees in their pocket, and this is actually gonna be a real game. And holy shit, Philadelphia is up late in this game and they might win this and it just started to become more real there for me.
0: So let's talk about that fourth down play that I was mentioning. There was actually uh five minutes 39 seconds in the game, fourth and one, ball at the Philadelphia 45, and that was the most, you know, crazy part of it because they're basically saying we're we're here to win this game and we're gonna get this fourth down. And Nick Foles got flush out of the pocket, completes the pass to Zach Ertz, who gets hit hard and then is able to hold on to the ball. And um you know, For you, Sutton, you're saying your biggest takeaway is the trust and the communication there. Before we get into the referee's house, what was your biggest takeaway from the Eagles and their impressive performance against the Patriots?
2: For me, it was just how well they went out there and executed that game plan. I mean, Doug Peterson showed that he had big kahunas, uh, put his trust in Big Dick Nick, and Nick Foles went out there and just did everything that he could have been asked to do. Um, I'm sure he's going to get traded in the offseason. That's that's a conversation for another another episode of the podcast. But overall, just how well they executed everything, uh, that Philly special. was just so great to see, especially after Tom Brady uh, missed that catch earlier in the game, earlier in the half, and to see them come back and just perfectly throwing ball by Trey Burton right on the hands of Nick Foles. It was everything you could have asked for going into the half. And like you said, late in the game, putting this trust in his team to get that fourth down, knowing that if New England got the ball back, that they were likely going to march down the field and score. Uh, you just see so many things there with Philly. You see uh, how important a, a good tight end is and how important Miami needs to look into that position this this offseason because you have a guy like Zach Ertz. I mean, even Trey Burton is one of those underrated guys. Uh, it can change the game. You saw how often Nick Foles relied on him, and, and that's something Miami needs to get down here. But ultimately, just overall, Doug Peterson, hell of a game called, outcoached Bill Belichick, in my opinion. Everyone kept saying defense wins championships, Defense is what got him there, but ultimately that offense outscored uh, Brady and the Pats. Yes, he had 500 yards, which I, I was shocked when I saw that stats. I think he completed 50% of his passes, but still ended up with over 500 yards. And to just go out there and see Nick Foles, a, a guy who many teams gave up on, a guy who uh, contemplated g- retiring to come back to Philly and just go out there and win all those games when it mattered most. I mean, n- no bigger game, and he went out there and delivered. and those were the things I enjoyed watching, and that's that's ultimately what did it for me.
0: The Eagles, of course, winning 41-33 to and knocking the Patriots off their throne. Looking at the entire game, Tom Brady, 505 yards, three touchdowns, no punts, which is incredible. Garrett Blunt, 14 carries, 90 yards, one touchdown. Receiving DNA Mandola, eight receptions, 152 yards. Those are the three leaders in those categories. J.H.I., had a part in the game as well. And I know there is a ton of back and forth. Such a polarizing figure in terms of, well, the Dolphins traded him. Everyone's saying, oh, Adam Gase and Mike Tannenbaum and Chris Greer really showed him he's a Super Bowl champ now. Ajay nine carries, 57 yards, averaging 6.3 yards per carry in the Super Bowl. Jay Ajay putting out an Instagram post after the game. A little petty on his part. I thought I was a little immature throwing in uh, the word "gassed," but making it so it spelled out gace with the capital letters and attacking the Miami media at the same time. And if anyone in the Dolphins front office felt a little remorse training him, I would venture to say that all that remorse was gone when they saw that Instagram picture. Because for me, that's telling me that Ajayi still is... The person he was, at least who the media said he was, behind closed doors. I know, Houts, you have a, you're a big fan of a Ajayi. For me, I had to mute the words Ajayi on Twitter the day after because it was just overwhelming and uh, incredible the amount of hate that was coming from one side while the amount of defense that was coming from the other side. For me, it's a win-win situation for both teams. Ajay Ajayi made it clear to the Dolphins' breast he wanted a new contract this offseason. The Dolphins brass was not going to give him a new contract. They said, well, we're going to give you uh, a way for what we can right now. And that's going to be that. And they get a fourth round pick, which is basically a fifth round pick because the Eagles won the Super Bowl. You know, for the Dolphins, they have Kenyon Drake. The Eagles have multiple running backs. And, and someone said it best. I think it was Alfredo Artega who said, it wasn't about trading a Ajayi to a bad team or, or trying to send a message to him by getting him off the team. The Dolphins don't care where he went. For them, it was neutering his value when he hits the free agent market. The Eagles gave him nine carries in the Super Bowl. They're telling him, we don't need you to be our feature running back. And he's going to go to the Eagles wanting a big contract. And the Eagles are going to say, no, we're not going to give you a big contract he's going to hit the free agent market with two seasons in a row, not being a feature back. So the numbers aren't there. So, so that's really what the Dolphins did. And eventually for the Dolphins, in their minds, it will all even out at the end. I don't know if you two have any thoughts on this situation.
3: Well, like you said, it's, what we essentially got was a fifth round pick. And when you think about what kind of value can you get out of a fifth round pick, Well, most of the time, they're not even going to survive in the NFL very long. So is it worth investing a fifth-round pick for half a season to have some what you think will be some consistent production uh, for a position that you really value in your scheme? Yeah, I think that was a smart thing to do for Philadelphia if you look at it in that sense. When you look at a fifth-round value pick and bring – and then when you're looking at it from a my, I I think we did get lucky in the way that Kenyon Drake emerged though. I don't think we had the foresight to know how that was going to work out. We are very fortunate that it was that Kenyon Drake. What he was, what the number back for the last four weeks of the season in terms of rushing yards, something like that. But the way that works out was great. But I don't know that uh, we anticipated it to work out that way. But anyway, it was a smart move for us too because, like you said, it wasn't going to work out. The, 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 the long-term perspective didn't match from the organization and the player. It made sense to move him, got some uh, draft value back from him, and it was higher than the one that we invested in him. I think you can look at that as a win for the Dolphins' perspective too.
2: Yeah, I think it all comes down to who the Dolphins take in the April draft. I, I agree with both of you. I think this worked out for both teams. You see Ajayi, he's not the featured back in Philly. Who knows what he'll be in 2018. Free agent in 2019. I can't see Philly giving him a new contract with with all those players that need to lock up there in Philly to keep that young nucleus. There's obviously more players, more important. Uh, but then to see him come out on Instagram, I mean, it, it goes both ways. It's immature, absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't expect that out of uh, one of your franchise players so you see the immaturity and that kind of ego that locker room issue the cancer that he may have been but at the same time if it were me and someone I've I mean I've been at a job for 12 years I know it's not the same as two but if you get traded you're going to be bitter. you're going to try to take stabs at your former employee any chance you get but at the end of the day he's a professional he needs to know better and to go out there and I mean, you just won a Super Bowl, and the first thing you need to do is to kind of throw shade at the South Florida media and your former head coach, who ultimately had the same trading you there to to win that Super Bowl ring. It just seemed unnecessary, and kind of shed some light on who Jai was as a player or as a, a teammate, I should say. And ultimately, it'll come down to who Miami takes in the draft. It's essentially the same kind of pick we gave up for him, I believe. It's essentially a fifth round pick with that thirty second pick, but uh, in the fourth round. But at the end of the day. The Dolphins made the right decision. I don't think they saw Kenyon Drake emerging. Uh, I don't trust Adam Gase to have known that he was going to be the back he was because he brought Damian Williams in after he got rid of uh, Ajay. But ultimately, we have Kenyon Drake, and that's who we're riding with in 2018. Uh, Good luck to Ajay, but I I moved on.
0: The Dolphins certainly did not know what they had in Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake was a malcontent in the classroom. He was not taking it seriously because he he thought he would never really get in the game much. And then when Ajay got traded, he, he knew it was his time to shine. And he stepped up, sat in the front of the rooms in the, in the meetings, asked more questions, engaged in more discussion, really became a mature player, almost a JE J-like when uh, he was benched last year at the beginning and then finally came to light. So the knock on uh, Drake is can he last a full season? Well, he did a pretty good job the last few weeks or, or the remainder of the time that he was the starting running back. For the Dolphins, like you said, he was in the top five uh, running backs while he was a starter in terms of rushing yards. We'll see how that carries over into the coming season. Before we move on I'm from the Super Bowl, just want to get your quick thoughts on the commercials. Uh, what was your favorite commercial, House?
2: Yeah, for me, it was without a doubt that uh, Odell Beckham and Eli Manning commercial. Yes. Uh, was it was perfect. It was, it made me laugh. I, I'm a big fan of Odell Beckham. Not that big of a. Well, I guess I am a big fan of Eli Manning for what he's done of the Patriots. But <laughs> out of all the commercials, that was the one that uh, I really enjoyed. How about you, sign? Could not agree more.
3: It was a beautiful thing because he felt like at the time, Philadelphia was doing well and then you saw Eli come on to a commercial and you're kind of like, okay, maybe there's some good vibes out here in the universe for this game. And... I would not be surprised if Eli and Nicholas are very popular baby names in 2018.
0: Absolutely. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, nah, I hear you. My favorite commercial was more of the inspiring ones, the ones with Lindsey Vaughn at the beginning of the Super Bowl when they had her showing her as a young girl overcoming all odds and with all the injuries she had in, in her career and, and just overcoming all of it. You know, I'm kind of more like that guy where I like the real stuff, the inspiring stuff. And that, for me, was a really nice commercial that really was powerful. I thought the commercials overall were not good this year. I feel like the commercials have kind of fallen off a little bit over the past several years. It might be just me and me getting old, or it could just be a real trend that everyone else is noticing as well. And the halftime show was absolute fire, but not better than Lady Gaga. I do have to say that. (laughs) Commercials suck. Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap up the show by touching on this Josh McDaniels situation. I mentioned at the top, he spurned the Colts. There's so many reports coming out on Tuesday evening as to what actually happened. And I don't think anybody still knows what actually happened. We do know that McDaniels walked into Gillette Stadium on Tuesday morning to pack up his office. He was cornered by Robert Kraft, Jonathan Kraft, Bill Belichick, and a few others. And they. Locked him in a room and convinced him to stay. Belichick supposedly offering to really open up as a coach and teach McDaniels everything he knows. For me, that's a a point right there that McDaniels is the future coach of the New England Patriots. When that's going to be, I hope after this season, right? We all hoped it was after the Super Bowl that they would step down, Belichick and Brady. Looks like that's not going to be the case. Maybe McDaniels learns under Belichick for one or two years, but at least the end is in sight, For the end of the Belichick era in New England, and yes, the Brady era as well. So, McDaniels is that guy, right, who went to Denver, failed miserably, went back to his parents' house with Belichick and Kraft, honed his craft a little more, no pun intended, became that big name again, built up his business, graduated from college, let's say, as an analogy, and now he's afraid to move out of his parents' house again. And he has burned every bridge that he's had in the NFL, all the years he spent rebuilding his reputation is gone it is up in a flame of fire and the only chance he has to be a head coach is in new england so for me i think that's a definite that he is the next head coach of the new england patriots your thoughts sutton let's take you first house will go with you after your thoughts on the whole situation on josh mcdaniels he literally gambled his entire nfl career
3: on this move so he's gotta hope that this works out and I think you're absolutely right. You don't make this kind of gamble unless you have some assurances that you're going to be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. And i, I, I that's the only thing that makes sense to me right now. Now, if Belichick is going to quote-unquote open up and all that kind of stuff, not sure about that. We'll see how that plays out. I wouldn't necessarily be scared of Josh McDaniels, though just because his first head coaching stint wasn't that spectacular. And I'm not going to base how he's going to do as a Patriot coach on that because he was younger. And, yes, he's been working with Bill Belichick now, and you're going to pick up some pretty outstanding habits working next to that guy. I'm still not convinced that he's going to be able to – do with that roster what Bill Belichick does, though. Bill Belichick is the master at turning chicken salad into chick, or what is it, the chicken and sh- the chicken salad. He's the master at that, and I don't know that Josh McDaniels nor any other coach the ability to do that. And when I look at that New England Patriots roster after Tom Brady's going to be out of there looks borderline dumpy. If you're talking about any head coach and his name is not Bill Belichick, I don't know that you can win very many games there. So this is a tremendous risk on his part. I'll give him kudos for uh, being aggressive, very aggressive in a decision. Um, Hopefully it doesn't work out for him because I think he's a prick.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think Josh McDaniels, you burn lots of bridges, uh, definitely an, an arrogant SOB, but I mean, it's hard to say what he's going to do when he does become the next head coach of the New England Patriots, as we all can assume will happen. Uh, the biggest fear for me is after he takes over for Belichick, is him going up there and Belichick becoming VP of football operations or having some kind of job within the organization where he still has most of the control over the roster. He might not be doing the play calling and things like that, but, uh, To me, I just don't know until I see Belichick sitting at home with his uh, half-cut hoodies and watching games that I'm going to believe that he's no longer with the New England Patriots. I don't think any coach in the history of the NFL will be able to uh, do what Belichick has done, and the day he is no longer with the Patriots will be a day that we can all rejoice, as will Brady. Um, But yeah, the thing that I can't believe is I think, and maybe I'm mistaken, that three assistant head coaches – if not more, were offered positions with the Colts. And and that was when they thought McDaniels was headed there. And, and now they're still signed with the team and they'll be taken over by the next head coach, if I'm not mistaken. That just seems crazy to me. I mean, he he had to have known earlier in the day or throughout the last week or so, whether or not he was going to go to Indy. I know that they sweetened the pot there at the last minute, but I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's been promised as we thought that, that to become the heir apparent to, uh, to Belichick or if he's going to end up screwing himself in the end because he he had a chance to go to Indy. I don't know if it's Andrew Luck's arm, what it may be, but he he put all his marbles in the New England Patriots and they put all their marbles in him. And and at the end of the day, if he's their next head coach, if he does what he did when uh, he was there with Denver, uh, I feel like that's a pretty good day for the Dolphins. And that's a a New England Patriots team I'd much rather play than the Belichick teams that we've been dealing with for the last decade plus.
0: Absolutely correct. And his agent, Bob Lamont. Ter- uh, terminated his relationship with McDaniels earlier today on uh, Wednesday. He also represents Colts general manager Chris Ballard, who was extremely impressive in his press conference when talking about the entire situation. Sounds like a guy that I'd want to go coach for. Dan Campbell, former Dolphins interim coach and tight ends coach, interviewing with the Colts on Thursday, I believe, for their head coaching interview. We'll see how that plays out. Anything else, boys, before we sign off for this week? Interesting little tidbits,
3: because, you know, I like to be a little investigatory detective. Josh McDaniels, 1999, studies under what
0: coach at what university, Matthew? Studied under Nick Saban.
3: Michigan State. You know who else happened to be there at that time? Adam Gase. Okay, let's play another fun fact. You came here to visit me in Cleveland, Ohio, and you loved it, did you not? I want to Admit come it. back.
0: I want to come Ad- back to Cleveland.
3: Admit it. And thirty minutes from there, there's a little Division Three Jesuit university named John Carroll. Guess who came from
0: there? Don't tell me, Josh Adam. McDaniels. Okay, Josh McDaniels. Okay, and
3: guess and guess who else? Adam Gase. Uh, London Fletcher. Remember that name? He played for the. Um, he he started to develop really Buffalo Bills, and then ended up turning into a stud middle linebacker with the Washington Redskins. But more importantly, the goat coach of all time, Don Shula. Okay.
0: okay. From John
3: Car, John, from John Carroll University, just like Josh McDaniels.
0: Okay. And my sister happened. Where are you going with you all know, this? Like
2: her too.
0: My sister
3: went there too, and I know you and your friends like her too. Um,
2: (laughs) I need to see pictures.
3: But it it, it just happens to be an interesting combination of things. Josh McDaniels went there. Don Shula went there. Just some random facts.
0: Cleveland, yeah. Jeopardy knowledge,
2: right
0: there. All right. How's anything to add before we sign off for the week?
2: Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. Can't follow that up.
0: <laughs> okay. So just to give you all a heads up on what we're planning to do now that there's no more football, we will of course be continuing our 30 minute shows. And we talked about a few weeks ago, ramping up during the important times. So we are going to now going to off season guest mode, which means we'll be packing our shows over the next few weeks, leading up to the draft with draft gurus. And yes, me Houts, and Sutton are gurus in our own respect But we are not draft gurus, so we're going to bring on the best of the best. We'll be lining up those interviews as we move forward and bringing them on the show. So be sure to keep tuning in. We're going to focus our attention to free agency moving forward and uh, the draft, of course, after that. So you're not going to want to miss our shows. They're going to be filled with great tidbits, great information, and yes, inside information as well. So that is going to do it for this week on Finsider Radio 4. Starting the Creepy Soccer Dad and OutsMD, I am MC Cash Money. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you, you next time. We
1: from go to go like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super because we're the Miami Dolphins. The greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super the cause we're the Miami Dolphins.